1: Jesus was not a descendant of Aaron, that is the priestly tribe. He was a descendant of Judah, the kingly tribe. So the point is that Jesus' priesthood, like Melchizedek's priesthood, was based on the call of God, not heredity.
0: Well, there is a real truth that we need to sink our teeth into. And we'll do just that here today on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Hi there, and welcome to our broadcast today. We are in Genesis chapter 14, as we get introduced to Melchizedek. Along the way, we'll see a bit of cunning from Abraham as he takes on and restores and rescues Lot from an enemy. Here's Pastor Leighton with
1: today's study verse-by-verse. So Abram was separated, but not isolated. He was independent, but not indifferent. In fact, he and some of the local sheiks had formed an alliance for just such emergencies. So the raiding armies, they... Uh, Looted the cities. They rounded up captives to take home as slaves. And among those captives was Lot and his household and possessions. Verse 13. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite. The brother of Eshcol and Anner, All of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive. He called out the 318 trained men born in his household. And went in pursuit as far as Dan. That's about 120 miles away. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them. And he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and all his possessions together with the women and the other people. Now remember that Abram had given Lot the opportunity to choose where he wanted to live. And Lot had chosen to live near and then in Sodom. And someone with a less grand heart than Abram might have said, well, he made his bed. Let him lie in it. He deserves what he's getting. Maybe this is an opportunity for him to learn something. But we see no such responses in Abram. You see, great people don't judge others who are in need, even if the needs are brought upon by their own actions. Great people see crisis for another as an opportunity for action. Now, note that Abram did not have to go to war. The enemy armies were already on their way home. The cities were largely empty. In fact, Abram could have considered the empty cities and land as the way that God was using to fulfill his promise to give the land to Abram. That would have been a convenient way for him to claim his inheritance. Just move in and take over. But Abram treated his nephew Lot with love, both in giving him the choice, first choice of the land, and again, now when he risks everything to rescue him. Lot had not been kind to Abram, and Abram had every reason to let him suffer the consequences of his decision. But as we note in verse 16, Abram saw Lot as a relative kin. Now, as we observed last week, based on the part of Lot's life that we are given in Scripture, the part of biography that we are given, we would never guess that he is described as a righteous man. But that's what the Apostle Peter describes Lot as in 2 Peter chapter 2. So, where was it that Lot failed? Well, while they were in Egypt, while he was there with Abram, he'd gotten a taste of the world, and he rather much enjoyed it. He returned much wealthier than when he had gone into Egypt. Scriptures do not record that Lot ever built an altar or ever sought the Lord, as did his uncle Abram. Abram was a friend of God, but Lot was a friend of this world. Lot conformed to this world, and when Sodom lost the war, he was condemned with the world. You know, a person who chooses to identify with the world should learn this lesson. To expect to suffer what the world suffers. Now, neither the Lord's chastening nor the Lord's goodness in rescuing Lot did him any good. The goodness of God in providing salvation from slavery and death for he and his family should have, let, have left him, had led him to repentance. But instead of repenting, the story continues to tell us that Lot returned to Sodom. He could have lived with his uncle, but he chose to go back to the land of sin. And in a few chapters, we shall see the results of that fateful decision. In verse 14, it describes individuals as born into Abram's household, which does not necessarily mean that they were born into his community as babies. The the ancient expression meant not purchased, and the, the purpose of the narrator putting this here is to make sure that we understand that these were associates by choice. Back in the days before we had strong national governments, people sought safety in numbers. And so some became citizens of a city. Others chose and asked to live under the protection of powerful sheikhs like Abram, offering their personal service in exchange for the benefits of community. They participated in business arrangements and, and uh, provision and protection in exchange for loyalty. And Abram attracted a large number of followers because he was an honest, wise, wealthy, influential man. And his household grew in numbers because people saw in his community provision and protection. So they came asking to be members of his household. Now this model of growth is quite different from another model of growth in which powerful men, kings of cities, would grow through conquest. They would raid their neighbors. They would take their possessions. They killed anyone who didn't serve their purposes. They enslaved the survivors. Free citizens of their their cities paid taxes and joined the king in warfare, or else they also became slaves. And the Old and New Testaments call these kings men-stealers. Now, though he was a man of peace, Abraham was prepared for war. And he didn't fight for selfish motives to gain personal property. He fought because he loved Lot and he wanted to help him. A quick look at the map shows that Abram's men marched more than 100 miles north to the Phoenician city of Laish, which was later renamed Dan. Lamar's army probably thought they were safe there. Camped outside the city, they were undefeated. They had humiliated their opposition throughout Canaan. They never expected a nighttime raid. Everything behind them, they had laid waste And everything in front of them was either considered subdued or friendly. Note the military skill difference between Abram and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fought on familiar ground and failed to turn the tar pits into a strategic advantage. On the other hand, Abram and his men fought the same enemy on foreign soil and were vastly outnumbered. To overcome their disadvantage, Abram used cunning and deception. He divided his forces. He had a plan, a timed plan. He had undoubtedly attacked the camp from several directions and to create a panic. And in this confusion is 318 men routed an undefeated army of perhaps thousands and sent them running. This story, by the way, may have been an inspiration to Gideon many years later who... Faced a similar situation. And then, rather than gathering up their prisoners and property and scurrying home, Abram pursued that army another 50 miles into the mountains of Damascus. When Abram returned from battle, he was met by two kings Barah, king of Sodom, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. Verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kelelelamor, And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so we had two kings come out to greet Abram and they could not have been more different. Uh, Melchizedek means king of righteousness and since he was the king of Salem which means peace that meant he also was the king of peace. The Bible also tells us that he was a priest of God most high. That meant Melchizedek was really exceptional because in the Bible for the most part a person might be a priest, or they might be a king, but not both. And here he's clearly described as both priest and king. Now in the time of Moses, when this was written about 400 years later, the readers primarily associated a title like priest of God with the descendants of Aaron, who was Moses' brother. But here, Moses writes of Melchizedek, a priest of God who is not a descendant of Aaron. A thousand years later, in Psalm 110, King David writes of a future priest-king in the likeness of Melchizedek. Jesus was not a descendant of Aaron, that is the priestly tribe. He was a descendant of Judah, the kingly tribe. So the point is that Jesus' priesthood, like Melchizedek's priesthood, was based on the call of God, not heredity. Historical evidence in Psalm 76 confirms that Salem was later renamed Jerusalem. So this king would become the king of what would become the holy city. Now now because of some of these similarities, some people have suggested that Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a Christophany. That is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ rather than an incarnate person. But there is a statement found in Hebrews 7.3 which refers to Melchizedek as resembling. Resembling the Son of God. And the Greek word translated resembling assumes two distinct and separate identities. So the Son of God and Melchizedek, then, would have been distinct persons.
0: Well, more on these two people and the significance of what we read here in Genesis 14. We'll continue with tomorrow's broadcast here on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. We invite you to visit our website if you have questions about today's program, the current series we're in the middle of here in Genesis Or if you would like to know more about Church of the Highlands right here in San Bruno, we invite you again to visit highlands.us. That's highlands.us. And then come back and join us tomorrow for another broadcast of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely.